Matthew 7. We'll start reading in verse 24. The Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we do come, Lord, before you, Lord, before your word, which is truth, which is living and active, which divides between soul and spirit. Father, we do pray this morning by your spirit that you would quicken, Lord, according to that word, that it would have free course in each and every heart. Lord, accomplish your purpose today. We ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as of late, we have been looking into the believer's battle cry, which in essence has three aspects as I see it. Courageous manhood, which is motivated by divine love to do the will of God no matter the earthly result. And we have spent a considerable amount of time examining the first part of this cry, which is biblical manhood, which we have learned is essentially being conformed inwardly to Christ. Moreover, in the previous months, we have considered the second aspect of this battle cry, which is love demonstrated by the practical embracing of spiritual responsibility that we may each bring forth a pure and full manifestation of Christ. Love constrains one to pay their debt to God and to men, which is to give their lives to be conformed to Christ. I owe you, Jesus, and you owe me, Jesus, and none of us has an excuse to fail because God, has opened the throne room of heaven and invited us to come and lay hold of all that we have need of. Now, we may delve a little more into the divine catalysts of love in the future. We'll see. The final aspect of the believer's battle cry, though, is a warning against one of the most dangerous and prevalent ideologies in the modern church, which is pragmatism. And I do plan to circle back, if I may, Brother Timothy, and deal with this vile, satanic plague of pragmatism in the future. 
But in essence, over the last month or so, the Spirit of God has been casting a vision of biblical manhood. As we have been seeking to inspire a spiritually responsible, courageous, and wise manner of life. So, as a subset of our study on the godly, wise, and spiritually responsible man, as I have sought God, I am sensing a leading to discuss a very pertinent and related topic to which the Bible has much to say. And I've wanted to preach on this for some time, and I finally sense God wanting me to deal with this. It will be especially pertinent here at Children's Church. And what we are going to look at over the next couple of weeks is we are going to take a look at the heart of the fool, and we are going to deal with the nature of foolishness. And we, this is not an intellectual problem. The Bible says, out of the heart proceedeth foolishness. And that is what we are going to see. And the Bible has a lot to say about foolishness. In fact, in the Bible, we see many contrasts. And one of the greatest contrasts in the Bible is the contrast between the wise man and the fool. And the book of Proverbs sets this forth in a ubiquitous manner. Moreover, I think this study is going to be beneficial on several fronts. For one, we are dealing with fools on a regular basis when we go to the college campus. And it is very insightful. I've got about 40 attributes so far of the fool. And it's very insightful when you go to the Bible and you read what the Bible says, and here you have men that are proving and confirming the Bible right before your eyes. So this is going to grant us great insight into the heart of the sinner. So it will grant us another layer of our evangelistic apologetic, but this study will also be very relevant and applicable to us as a church. Because what we must understand is this. The greatest fool of all is not the professing atheist on the SLU campus. The greatest fool is the religious fool. The one that sits here in this house and dabbles with God, who hears the words of God, but will not submit to the living word of God. That is the greatest fool. And you hear me, young people, old people. If any of us do not serve Jesus, we will take our place in eternity amongst the greatest fools that have ever lived. Yes, sir. Matthew 7 defines the religious fool. The man that hears, but he will not do. He refuses to apply the word to himself on a practical level. You see, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Who needs proof for God's existence? God's existence is the most obvious thing in the world. And the man that would stand and say there is no God, 
That man is more foolish than a man who will stand at high noon and say there is no sun. But as I've told you, there's a greater fool than that man right there. And he sits on the pew of this church this morning. And his folly is not intellectual. It's moral. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The very next sentence says they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. That's why the fool says there is no God. Not because he doesn't know there's a God, but because it will cost him his idols and his autonomy. He can't be the God of his life. And that's why the SLU, supposed atheist, says there is no God. And that's why some of you in here refuse to fully surrender and let God be God. You see, the fool says in his heart there is no God. But the wise and godly man's heart says, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. That's the difference. The wise man, amen, I know what you're preaching is true. I agree with everything. No, no, no. His heart says, God's face, I will seek. So turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. As this morning, we're going to seek to lay a foundation for the coming weeks. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now, Brother Charlie is not going to be, you know, juggling pink porcupines that are on fire here today, you know, while I stand on one leg. So, <laughs> amen. We're going we're gonna to read two chapters of the Bible. And then I'm going to give us some context here so that we can really understand what's going on. So, I'm going to ask that you would focus in as we read this biblical narrative concerning one of the greatest fools to ever live. 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass after this, and this is after David receives word that Saul and Jonathan have been killed, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, 
that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth. Do you think about old Ishbosheth very much? <clears throat> the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out for Mahanaim to Gibeon. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool, the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. That's a deer. And Asahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take there his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner with the hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner. And the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Amah that lieth before Gibeah by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop, and stood on the top of an hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Very convenient here that he 
calls for this truce. Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then, ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou had spoken, surely in the morning the people had gone up every one from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still, and pursued after Israel no more, neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain, passed over Jordan, went through all Bethron, and they came to Mahanaim. And Joab returned from following Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had smitten Benjamin and of Abner's men so that 300 and threescore men died. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Now down to verse 6. It came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for, his word, for the words of Ishbosheth. And he said, Am I a dog's head, which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to the friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michael, which I espoused to me for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Phaltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Baharim. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return, and he returned. You talk about a man of authority to tell a man to stop pursuing after his wife. Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, Ye sought for David in times past to be king over you. And so he says, Now then do it. 
For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the ears of Benjamin, and Abner went also to speak in the ears of David and Hebron all that seemed good to Israel and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron, and 20 men with him, and David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my Lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David. Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he had sent him away, and he is gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? Thou knowest Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know thy going out and thy coming in, to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Syrah. But David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. And he smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai his brother slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab, and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And David and King David himself followed the bier, and they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, consider these words, died Abner? As a fool dieth, thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. What a narrative. This morning, as I said, we're going to set the stage for our study of the fool as we perform a spiritual autopsy of one of the greatest fools who ever lived. And because Abner indeed lived as a fool, Abner died as a fool. 
So come with me on a little journey and allow me to provide some background regarding the biblical narrative. As we said, this chapter 2 opens up with David having received the news that Saul and Jonathan are dead. And David is heartbroken. So he then goes to the Lord and inquires, God, what would you have me to do? God instructs David to go up to Hebron where the men of Judah then anoint him as king. So we have King David, and David takes Joab as his general. However, after the death of King Saul, Abner, who was Saul's general, decides he's going to set up a man named Ish-bosheth, who is one of Saul's sons as the king of Israel. So we have a divided kingdom. But what we need to understand about old Ish-bosheth, amen, we talk about Ish-bosheth a lot at our house, amen. You know, sometimes you want to use a paper clip and not a staple because staples are kind of permanent. So we like to use the ish when necessary. But the problem is, is that when people are ishy, they cannot be depended upon. And Ish-bosheth was a very ishy man. And he wasn't really a king with any authority. He was just kind of a puppet king that Abner had set up himself. So it's not... Very good to be ish, ish in this sense. So the tragic setting of our narrative is one of a divided kingdom in which there is, imagine this, civil war in Israel. Can, can you even imagine that there would be a people who would be against one another? I mean, there would be infighting within a house or within a church or within a... Can you even imagine that? That some people wouldn't gladly find their place, but instead they would be against what God is seeking to do. Oh, yes, Satan is behind this. And although... We might not, might not know naturally what the cause of the civil war was. I can tell you what the cause of it is. It's what James says. From whence come wars? They come from lusts that war in our members. And when you ever have division, a civil war is because people are lusting after their own agenda and idols and autonomy. Yes, sir. So we see old Abner initiating a battle with Joab, David's general, at the pool of Gibeon. He says, let the young men arise and play before us. Joab obliges him. Twelve representative soldiers from each side arise and fight before the armies as gladiators. But they are so evenly matched that they all kill one another. And after this, a fierce battle arises. But Abner... Israel are losing, and so Abner takes off running. And old Asahel, as swift as a deer, 
He takes off in hot pursuit after Abner. Now, old Abner, he's, a, he's an old battle-tested old general. And he's running there, and he turns around. I'd love to see this, what this looked like. But there, he's talking to him, and he's telling him, Asahel, I'm warning you, young man, you'd better turn aside and notice. He didn't say go back, because that, that would make him a coward. He gave him a way out. He said, look, hey, Asahel, you just turn aside and go after one of them, and it'll look like that's what you were wanting to do. But you'd better not keep following me, or it's not going to end up up well with you. Wasahel, as young bucks are sometimes want to do. <laughs> yes, sir. He continues to unwisely pursue. Amen. I feel the spirit of Brother Timmy coming upon me. <laughs> yes, sir. <sighs> So what takes place is old Abner, as he's running, he's got that spear, and he just pushes it back there, sticks it right through Asahel's gut and the vital parts. Well, old Joab and Abishai see this, and they take off after Abner, and they chase him until the sun goes down. And we know that finally old Abner, he says, you know, man, we'd better just kind of cool it here for the night. Let's everybody go home. And so everybody goes home. But Abner has been soundly defeated. But the scriptures tell us that after this, Abner, he seeks to strengthen himself in the house of Saul. You see, we see two different kinds of men here. Amen. David was strengthened by the Lord. He he was a wise man, a man after God's heart. But Abner was a fool who doesn't want to serve the will of God, but his own will. And so he seeks to manipulate things to assert his own authority and pursue his own agenda. You know, in David's younger years especially, he was very tender and careful to seek God regarding every move that he made. And there is so much that we could say about David in regards to this. But Abner was not like David, for he sought to strengthen and exalt himself. He sought to win over the tribes of Israel But David trusted in God. We see Abner the fool, although he was a religious man, although he said many right things, he was ultimately in pursuit of natural things. And he pulls a power stunt as he apparently goes in unto one of Saul's concubines named Rizpah. Now, now this doesn't have anything to do with lust. This was just like old Reuben going into Jacob's concubine. This was a power play as he sought to assert his own authority. That's what this was about. And so old Ish-bosheth-ish kind of confronts Abner, and Abner becomes enraged. And Abner does not deny the accusation, you notice, but he threatens old Ishbosheth with 
defecate with defection from Saul's house to go and help David. And he, he, he makes this great speech there, you know. It's, it's like when people are, are confronted by their authority. They, they're going, I, I can't believe that you, you would even think that about me. He goes into this rage there as he protests too much, revealing his guilt. And he says, So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. Now, now what's going on? Well, Abner, when it suited him well, he's trying to, to set up Ishbosheth, and he's going against David and against Judah because it suited him well at that time. But when old Ishbosheth confronts him, he says, Well, I'm going to turn on you, and now, because it's the will of God that David's the king, he's now going to give himself to help David. That's, <laughs> this is what the fool does. No principle, just whatever is good for him. And so Abner sends messengers to David, saying that if David will make a league with Abner, and Abner will heal the divided kingdom and bring all Israel to submit to David. So Abner goes there and they have this wonderful covenant meal. And Abner declares, I, David, will go and I'm going to gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they may make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all Israel as thy heart desireth. And so David sends Abner away in peace. And all is looking seemingly well for old Abner. But meanwhile, David's general, Joab, returns from battle. And when he finds out that David has met with Abner, he becomes upset. And says, David, I can't believe you've allowed this deceiver in here. So Ab, or Joab leaves that meeting, and he sends messengers to bring Abner there to Hebron. The scriptures say David knew not about this. But as old Abner comes, we know the story. Old Joab goes and meets him outside the gate and takes him aside, and he kills So Abner dies, and we have the funeral. And at this funeral, David lifts up his voice in bitter lamentation and asks this haunting question. Died Abner as a fool dieth. And over the next few weeks, maybe months, we are also going to consider this question. And we are going to look into this divinely recorded narrative together and seek to answer that haunting question. And as I said, we are going to study the specific attributes of a fool. And I believe that we are not merely going to receive insight into the heart of the SLU student, but perhaps insight into our own heart and temptations as well. Well, there went my computer. The Bible says, young people, death 
is the destiny of every man. We're all going to die. And we're either going to die as a wise man or a fool. That's an absolute. You know, the Bible says the gospel is the answer to everything. That's what you need. But you're going to have to believe that and apply that to yourself. And if you don't, the Bible says the wrath of God will be revealed against you. That's not just on judgment day, young people. That, that's it. it means the wrath of God is even presently being revealed against men. That, you just look at our culture. That is the intellectual wrath of God being men professing themselves to be wise. They become fools. They think that there's over a hundred genders. That's the wrath of God being revealed. They think, Preston, don't fall out here that our ancestors were fish. You just think on that right there, okay? <laughs> and I could go on and on. Gavin Newsom said, you know the reason why he's being recalled out in California? It's because of white supremacy. I mean, white supremacy is of the devil. But what percentage of people in America do you think are really Nazi, white, supremacist, maybe less than a half of 1%? But he really believes that white supremacy is, the, is behind all of it. They believe this nonsense. It's the wrath, the judgment of God upon men. There's also moral judgment as we see men given over to sexual perversion and ultimately given over to a reprobate mind. This is the wrath of God being revealed against men. And none of us are immune to that. And you hear me, young people. You sit in this church and hear what you hear and play the fool by refusing to apply this to your heart. I, I can't apply this to you. Only you can apply this to you. I wish I could apply it to some of you, but I can't. You must cease being the fool by being a hearer and not a doer. And you must take action. Because if you don't apply yourself, this gospel will apply itself to you. And if you keep living as a fool, you're going to die as a fool. That's an absolute. Now, I want to leave you with this thought right here. You may know this week that my son Daniel suffered an accident with a chainsaw. A trying day, amen. Amen. Took him there to the orthopedic clinic, and 
as I'm coming through there and they're telling me, <laughs> giving me the cost of all of this. You know, I'm sitting there in one of them windows and you got these dividers. And, and then everybody on their dividers, they put up, you know, all their religious encouragement and mantras, you know, the, the serenity prayer and, you know, <laughs> you know, be the change that you want to see in the world. Sounds good, but Gandhi said that. Amen. I don't, I don't mind telling you who said that. In fact, we went into the, uh, the financial woman's office, and, and she had one up on her, you know, little wall. They all kind of up there. And it was about grace, you know, defining grace. And I'm like, wow. Oh, I can't, I can't wait. After all this, is, I'm going to talk to her about grace. And I said, ma'am, I see you got this up here about grace. It says unmerited favor, but it's, it's even better than that. And I began to share with her, and, She's looking at me like some of you look at me, like didn't really get it. But there was a piece of paper up on one lady's divider with a thought that lodged into my heart. And this is what it said. I tell you, you get a hold of this right here. It'll change your life. It said, in essence, with a little preacher embellishment, if you will allow. Life is a choice between two pains. You can't escape pain. None of us can. None of us will. We try to, but you can't. But here are the two pains that we can choose from. You have a choice, but you do not have a choice of the effects of your choice. That's settled. And here are the two pains that we can all choose from, and I want you to think about this this week. There's the pain of the discipline of present self-denial. Or the pain of regret and eternal torment. That's it. That's a, that's a profound thought right there. Some of you in here are playing the fool. And you think you're saving yourself. <laughs> I don't feel anything, Brother Charlie. So, talk to a young man who is struggling with sodomite tendencies out at and so, I'm praying it's okay. He won't take this away from me. So, well, you're going to act on it. Doesn't matter if you got to fight it the rest of your life. You can't do that. Amen. Uh, I don't have any hunger, Billy Charlie. Repent. Forsake your idols. Do what the pastor prays. Lay aside your hypocrisy and your evil speaking and your wickedness and your autonomy and lay down your life and get a hold of God. And hunger will come into your heart. But if you never sense any hunger, he's still worthy. 
And then until you come to that point right there, you'll never experience it. Never a point in my life. I don't feel any hunger. I'm just going to give up. Are you serious? Well, so and so isn't doing what they need. So I'm going to do what I need to do. And I know if there's any problems in this life, it's because of me. And I can change me. And I can get a hold of God. Yes, sir. So we are going to be studying the attributes of the fool. Who, in essence, refuses to apply, to believe. Word of God. And I hope you think about that this week. We can't escape pain. Life is a matter of choices every day. And we're making these choices for temporal gratification or making the right choice to deny ourselves and to be spiritually disciplined so that we can have future gratification, but more importantly, so that we can be furnished and harnessed and prepared to be a blessing in the kingdom of God and so that our house will be built upon a rock so when those floods and those trials come and they will come, our house will stand. Let's stand here this morning. Hallelujah. Father, help us. Each of us, Lord. To be eternity conscious. Lord, not to play the fool. But to redeem the time. To choose you the way. To deny ourselves. And to surrender fully and wholly to your lordship. By practically applying your word to our lives. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. We'll take a short break. Come back for church.